Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is a freedom advocate, podcast host, and digital nomad originally from the United Kingdom. In 2021, he decided to permanently leave the UK after becoming disenfranchised by the government's authoritarian COVID lockdown policies. He now lives on the sunny Mexican Pacific coast, where he continues to work remotely in the Bitcoin industry. Please welcome to the show, Johnny Hoddle. Johnny, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you for the invite. I'm uh, super happy to be having this conversation with you today and talking about all things freedom. So yeah, thank you for the invite. Well, pleasure is all mine. I'm really excited to have you here. So I guess maybe let's take a minute at the beginning and kind of go back through your backstory. I'm curious about who you are, but then kind of what the the exodus point was from the UK for you. Yeah, so I mean, kind of growing up, it was all relatively normal, really. I didn't, I wouldn't say that I had kind of any particularly extreme kind of views when it comes to freedom or politics or anything like that. If anything, I would have said that I was pretty far left, actually. I definitely was not kind of brought up with any kind of libertarian values or ANCAP values or anything like that. And I kind of continued along that path for for quite a while. I was like an ardent Remainer in the whole Brexit debate and things like that. And then when it came to around 2016, those views kind of started to change for me. A big turning point in my life was discovering Bitcoin in 2016. And that was when I started to kind of come on to ideas of, you know, libertarianism and started thinking a bit more deeply about my political philosophy. And so I kind of carried on down that path for a while since since 2016. And then when it got to 2020, you know, as and it was a case with a lot of people came to kind of the lockdowns and the COVID policies. And that was kind of a big watershed moment in my life to think, okay, well, just kind of going along and trying to get along with the system wasn't really working. And I realized that, you know, maybe it was time to rethink how I was living my life and actually try to be more proactive about finding freedom rather than just hoping that the world that I wanted to see will come about. So yeah, that brings me to kind of 2021. We just come through a series of of lockdowns in the UK. I think the longest was somewhere around five months, kind of on and off with various phases of severity. And during this time, I just really thought that there's just, there's no future here. You know, I mean, for the UK generally, I just became, like you said in the intro, very disenfranchised. But I think with the West in general, you know, I'd done some traveling before this and I kind of opened my mind to the way that people lived in other countries and the kind of values that they held. And I guess that it dawned on me that, you know, the West was no longer the, the bastion of freedom in the world and it could be found elsewhere. If not, very proactively by the the countries. I'm not saying that necessarily every single country has a kind of active or, or proactive philosophy of freedom going on. But even if just due, due to basic economics, just the fact that you can't have five months of lockdowns in a, in a country like Mexico, you know, in a country, in, in a kind of more developing country, I realized that these places actually had a kind of line, line of defense. You know, they were able to kind of foster freedom more naturally, I think, in the West, which seems to be more under the philosophy of, well, you know, nothing can ever go wrong. We're so good. We're so rich. We're so wealthy, et cetera. We can just lock people in their homes for however long it takes and we'll do whatever it takes. That attitude doesn't really exist in the developing world. So I started looking internationally at different places uh, where I might want to move to and want to try out. And at that time, Mexico was the most free country in the whole world. 
you know, had very, very few restrictions during the whole COVID area. So I thought, okay, well, that's the place that I want to go. That's the place I want to try and live. And, and you know, I, I want to be a bit more proactive about where I live. So came to Mexico initially just to do some traveling and just really, really loved it here. And then I decided to say, so that was in 2021. And apart from kind of going back to Europe to visit, I've been here ever since. Amazing. There's so many things I want to break down there. Now, all right, I'm going to come back to your original points of Bitcoin in a second because I I do want to discuss those. But what you said is very, very true. When you look at a developing country and their ability to take out credit, so people usually have at least some amount of savings, but then also their ability and access to credit. You know, These things don't exist in a lot of the developing countries. So first of all, they don't have the savings. So if you lock them down, I mean, they're going to starve and they don't have credit cards that they can start maxing out and ordering Uber Eats from or Amazon delivery or something like that for for groceries. I mean, they have to go out there and do this. But, you know, I'm Canadian, the US, Western Europe, the UK, these types of places, the ability to get cheap money, well, up until recently, has just been massive. So really what they've done is they've absolutely bankrupted millions upon millions of people. They've destroyed all savings that existed and now made them go into a massive amount of debt. And with that debt, they have their claws into you and they're not going to let you go. And now when we're talking about credit cards with 19 or 20 or 21% interest rates, how do you climb out of something like that? And when your job has been deemed non-essential, it's absolutely brutal. But as you had said, down here in Latin America, they don't have these kind of options. This will be heads on spikes type of situations if politicians do these things. Not to say that there weren't areas in Latin America that had lockdowns. Absolutely, they were. But the results in the end were very, very different. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I think in the West, there's just kind of an attitude of, well, we've made it and everything's just going to continue as is. And it doesn't matter how much money we print or the severity of lockdowns. There's this attitude, you know, and we heard this a lot during that time of like, if it saves one life, you know, if it saves one life, this attitude is just so fundamentally wrong. And it was almost as if, if you said, well, hang on, what about, you know, the economy? Like the economy is what gives us our livelihoods. You know, this is the thing which actually enables us to live prosperous lives and to live healthy lives and to buy the things that we need when we need them, et cetera. And the idea that even saying something like this, you were considered to be, you know, some kind of COVID denier or some kind of granny killer or whatever. But it's like, there is a thing called economic reality and it exists whether or not you choose to believe in it. And the fact is in more developing countries, they have more of a kind of visceral connection to that. They are living generally more paycheck to paycheck. You know, generally people understand the value of money more. You know, they might be less well off, but that doesn't mean that they hate money. If anything, they have a higher appreciation for money. And, you know, like I said before, I think that that kind of inoculates them from some of this incredibly dangerous governmental policies and governmental thinking. I really think that the, the mindset in the West is kind of denying reality now. I think that people maybe this has happened over generations. There's been a kind of like slow decay in the way that people think about things like money and finance to the point where people now, they just believe that it's some optional thing. It's like, okay, well, we'll discuss the economy or we'll see to the economy after we've dealt with whatever this issue that the government wants to be heavy handed on. Whereas I think in in developing countries, they recognize that the thing that brings them their livelihoods generally is independence and finance and the ability to kind of like have disposable income themselves to spend on the things, the goods and services that they need. So yeah, I think that this is a lesson that the West unfortunately is going to learn. And I, I think that they are starting to learn it now. I think that wow. now the conversation is starting, <laughs> starting to change very, very slowly. It's going to take a long time, but I think people are finally starting to admit, hmm, maybe this wasn't the best thing that we could have done at the time, but it's still very much in its infancy, that conversation. And ultimately, I think the damage has been done anyway. Well, I can absolutely see that there is a great awakening of people who are understanding this. But as for mainstream media, politicians, these types of larger organizations, recognizing that they have not just made mistakes, but done truly evil things, I don't think that they will ever come to terms with this. I don't think they will ever admit this. I don't think they'll ever take responsibility for any of it. I just can't see that happening. I can see them doubling down on all of it instead of admitting that they're wrong. And to go back to your point about economic realities and saving just one life, well, look at all the screening tests for cancer, for all of these different types of things, for diabetics, and how many people right now are suffering because they didn't have a checkup for two years. They didn't go through these types of things. 
How about suicide? How about alcohol abuse and domestic violence and all of these types of things? Like, what the fuck did you expect to happen? You lock people in their homes for two years. You take away their livelihood. You isolate them by themselves and make them afraid of their own shadow. You think that people aren't going to drink, do drugs, beat their wives. Of course, stuff like this happened. Saving one life, you've actually destroyed thousands upon probably millions of families around the world. But will they ever take responsibility for that? I doubt it. I highly, highly doubt it. Yeah, I mean... I'm not sure that they will take responsibility in the sense they'll come out and say, hey, we were wrong. But I think we're starting to see the seeds of, they'll say things like, we didn't have the full data at the time, you know, things like that. Very similar to what they do with wars, right? You know, governments, they'll go to war and they'll never say, yeah, we completely lied to you when it was all a war for, for money and greed, et cetera. They'll say things like, ah, oh, you know, the data that we had at the time indicated something different and we did the best that we could with the data at the time. And they're starting to do this, I think, now with COVID. It'll never be a full admission, but it'll kind of be a, essentially for me, and I'd, as good as you get from a government is saying something like, ah, oh, well, the data at the time was incorrect. Something like that, you know, it's, it's, it's a very soft admission. Sure. But I just don't think it's enough because I think the data at the time was very, very clear. Like we're not talking about, okay, two weeks. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Two weeks to flatten the curve. Great. Okay. Well, what about six months later where it's very clear that masks are not going to do anything, especially alone walking on the beach by yourself and you're forced to mask up. Like it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now to your other point earlier where you said, whatever it takes, if I could describe fascism in as few words as possible, that's how I would describe it. Whatever it takes, that's what fascists believe. The ends justify the means. And I completely disagree with this idea. I don't think the ends justify the means. I think that we need to look at all of it and try to understand. And there's, it's, it's just too complex of a system to be able to centralize plan and top down all of these things. Yeah, completely. I mean, I would go as far with this as to say that even if you could categorically prove in no uncertain terms that something like, for instance, when it came to the vaccine, which obviously is a big, you know, I'll, I'll be careful what I say here because I know that you <laughs> show on YouTube, but even if, for instance, the vaccine, we knew that it was 100% effective and every single person who took it was going to be safe from it, et cetera, it would still be wrong to force people to take it. And I think similarly with lockdowns, even if you could prove that lockdowns would save more lives, it's still wrong to do it. And the, the analogy that I always make with this is, let's say, for instance, something that we already have as, as a voluntary system, which we know helps people, something like donating blood. People donate blood, they choose to donate blood voluntarily. We accept that blood is part of your sovereign body. And if you choose to do that, that's great. And it will save lives. We know we could probably find the data out. And I'm sure that if you went door to door and knocked on every single person's door and said, we're going to force you to donate blood, there's no doubt in my mind that would probably save lives. There's always shortages of certain blood groups, et cetera. But would that be morally right to do it? I mean, someone who is a utilitarian, they would sit back and say, oh yeah, well, it's going to save 50,000 lives. It's going to save 100,000 lives. Probably might save more lives than we've lost from COVID. Quite likely that's the case. Would it be the right thing to do? Well, I would still say no, because there's certain lines that you never cross. And one of them is you don't cross the line of bodily autonomy. We have to have some concept of what is our sovereign property in this world. And if your body is not your sovereign property, good luck with your house being your sovereign property. Good luck with your money being a sovereign property, your car. Good luck with your kids having any kind of ownership over your kids and how they're educated, et cetera. Everything goes out the window because you've knocked out that fundamental pillar, which is bodily autonomy. Everything is kind of predicated upon that. So, I mean, like to your point, yes, I would say even if we knew it was going to have all these positive effects, obviously in retrospect, and even at the time, you know, people like yourself and I were saying, well, this is going to cost more lives. But even if it had have saved lives, I still think it would have been wrong because you are knocking out a fundamental pillar of society, which is, you know, bodily autonomy, you know, in the case of lockdowns, freedom of movement, you know, this is a basic thing, the ability to just leave your house, to go and freely associate with people. These are things that Western civilization were previously kind of that was the foundation for Western civilization, right? And now we're kind of throwing it out as if, well, you know, this doesn't really matter. Let's just, we'll deal with the pandemic and then hopefully we can, maybe after the fact, we can bring these things back in. You can have freedom of association and bodily autonomy again. Well, no, if you, as soon as you've thrown them out, the whole system's gone. You know, you basically have a lawless, I mean, it's not lawless. It's, as you say, it's fascist. You're absolutely right. And I agree with you. The first thing that you own in your entire life, the moment you are born, the first thing you own is your body. That is yours. I think it's so 
hypocritical slash funny, not haha, but ironic kind of funny that from the left, there's been this massive push on, once again, I want to be a little bit careful on these types of things, but with abortion and all of these types of things. And they say, okay, my body, my choice. And then it came to all of the vaccines and stuff like that. And it's like, body, my choice. And I was like, what? Wait a second. I thought you guys were the ones that were supposed to be respecting bodily autonomy. Like what happened to that? You go on Twitter, it's a clown world. Like, I mean, it's absolutely, I can't find anything that describes it better. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we talk about things like inversion and stuff like this. And I know that some people will go kind of really far out there and say, oh, you know, we're living in some kind of demonic inversion because, but actually like, I think that when you do abandon basic truths in society, society tends to take very strange shapes and forms. And I think that when you look at things like, you know, you make a good analogy with people who are very like pro-abortion, but then just fundamentally just disregard the same, the exact same principle when it comes to something like vaccines. These ideas, if you have this kind of conflicting ideology on an individual level, and I think that this has been kind of nurtured from the fact that people just haven't received proper education, I guess, like haven't sat down and, and read books. They've just kind of listened to maybe the media or they've only had their education through school and not done any independent critical thinking. What you end up with is a society that's kind of morally confused. And I think this is where we are now. We have we have a morally confused society where nobody really has any kind of fundamental values. Everything is kind of subject to a different moral approach. Because as far as I'm concerned, I try to always have like an umbrella of rules that I live by, which are based upon some certain principles and I, and I apply them universally. Right. So I think that's what we need more of in the world. And yeah, like you said, that the clown world that we experience, I think the clown world, it's just symptomatic of the fact that people have moral schizophrenia. You're hundred percent correct because we have seen a separation of morals and family values and people for decades now. Traditionally, it was the job of the church and you went to church and you learned morals and you learned from your parents, but now your parents don't understand. They, they don't understand the difference between right and wrong. Everything's been so confused. So how are they going to teach you? They separate the child from the parent and they send them off to public school for eight hours a day when they're as young as humanly possible, which doesn't help the situation at all because it's a complete zoo in public schools. And my heart goes out to a lot of the public teachers. I'm sure they get into this to try to help people, but you can't help people in a broken system like this. I mean, the system is wrong. The system is broken. So it's impossible to help in a place like this. And then you have an entire generation of people who don't understand the difference between right and wrong. Everything gets kind of confused. Like if you get caught for tax evasion, okay, tax evasion or rape, tax evasion is a more serious crime in the eyes of the law. Think about that. Like, think about what tax evasion is. Tax evasion is not declaring the full scope of your income to the government and paying what they deem. So it's like protection money. It's like racket money. That or rape. How can you compare those two things and say that they're on even footing? It just absolutely boils my blood, all of these types of things. Yeah, I mean, like, that's one of the things that kind of leads me towards this more libertarian thinking. It, it seems really obvious if you actually look at the system that it's almost like every law that you think, oh, well, that's a law in my favor. That's almost just like kind of throwing people a bone, but the real meat of the system is actually to protect the status quo, to protect the ruling class, to protect the existing elite and to kind of rent seek from the people. Yes, you might have, the government has to be shown to be doing something. Otherwise you would completely reject it outright. If they don't give you something, then you say, everyone will just say, well, I'm not going to pay the taxes. So you have to give them just enough, right? So you have to punish some crime. You have to do do some things for the people. And that might be a large part of government, but still kind of underlying and fundamental nature of government is just, it's essentially the monopoly on violence. It's essentially just, you know, we'll, we'll take what we can from the people. We'll give just a little bit back. We'll give enough back so that it justifies our existence. But we still want to just kind of remain this power structure, which doesn't really have to provide value in the world, but can take value, can take from other people, can take people's income, et cetera. And that's my view of the government now. And I think the more I've kind of looked into it, the more that I've been turned on to like libertarian ideology, the more I see the government for what it is. It's almost like it really is like taking the red pill. And once you've kind of started looking at the government in that way, you realize that the signs are everywhere. You, it's reinforced everywhere, you know? Yeah, I think that 
having morals and ethics at the core of everything you do, your day-to-day life, how you live your life, your family, your business, your work, your relationship, everything is so important. And basically, my philosophy is a very clean libertarian view. I don't think of it as a political ideology. I think of it as a North Star. It is it is my direction home, right? It's do all that you say you will do and do not encroach on other people or their property. And the sister to the non-aggression principle is personal responsibility. I think with these few things, that will teach you how to live a just and virtuous lifestyle. Now, what I do is I hold myself accountable to this. I hold my family accountable to it. I hold anybody that I interact on a daily basis accountable to these things. And I also believe that we need to hold companies and corporations accountable to it. And we need to hold governments accountable to it. If it's wrong for me to go out there and murder someone, it's wrong for uh, Kellogg's or Toyota to go out there and murder someone. It's wrong for the US government or the British government to go out there and murder someone. Wrong is wrong is wrong. There's no exceptions to these rules. So we need to make sure that everything that we do are in line with these values. But these values are not taught on a daily basis, going back to our conversation about public education. I couldn't agree more. I definitely think that that ultimately is what it comes down to. And that I see a lot on the left, and this is definitely something that I'm probably guilty of as well, having kind of been quite far left, is that you complain about corporations, you complain about you know, all these things, but ultimately you rarely change your own actions. Right. And, you know, I, a lot of people who are on the left and who say, oh, you know, like we hate the corporation, we hate this and that and the other. They're the first people to go and order, you know, Uber Eats rather than going down to the local restaurant or, you know, whatever it is, ordering things on, off Amazon rather than kind of going down and, and, and using like local services. Ultimately, if you want the world to change in the way you want to see, you should vote with your wallet. That is the best vote that we have. You have every chance, every time that you pay for something, you have the opportunity to vote with your wallet. And the problem is if people don't kind of recognize that or they don't um, actually accept that responsibility or, or they don't follow through on it, is you end up asking the government for everything. You end up asking, you end up kind of like just hoping that someone else deals with a problem. And, you know, ultimately, you know, the government might intervene in something, but you haven't changed the kind of moral structure of society. So I agree. I think that everything should come from the bottom up. If you can kind of resolve the issues morally within individuals and get them to make the right choices, then we'll see a different society. And I always think that things are going to grow in that direction rather than expecting government to make change because ultimately people resist that people resist what the government does even the people who want those things right those people who are saying oh yeah we want to have a greener world or whatever it is well they still don't want to pay the taxes for it they want someone else to pay the taxes for it right they don't want to actually be the ones to do it so i just think the things that you want in the world try and do it on an individual level and try and inspire others to do it and i think ultimately if we taught that in schools we could have a different world but ultimately the public education system is very much in the business. It's part of the power structure of government. So unfortunately, you're not going to get it unless you have a mass movement out of public education. I just don't think that the the solutions are going to come from there. It's got to come from, well, in my view, it's conversations like these and like alternative media and, you know, people actually taking initiative outside of that. And I do think that that is happening. You know, I do think that we are going to have some kind of a, a renaissance in that area. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen really quickly, but I just think the way that people are getting their content now and the amount of amazing free content that's out there. And in my view as well, conversations like these, they're actually kind of good for the soul. Whereas I feel like a lot of the conversations that are happening on the left, they're very abrasive. Even if you agree with the ideas, there's that, you know, often they're kind of coming from a place of negativity or, or maybe a kind of emotion of futility towards the world in some way. Whereas I think that conversations like these are, are a bit more, it's empowering on the individual level. And I always think that if you have an empowering message, eventually that will win out. The fact is, we've just not had the empowering messages in the past. It's not been as accessible as it is today. So I think that has fundamentally changed. And do you think that this will kind of continue to grow? These ideas will continue to grow. And hopefully we'll have some kind of a libertarian, you know, cultural renaissance, maybe if not like a political one, maybe it starts off as a cultural renaissance. But I do think that people are coming around the ideas of freedom a bit more now. And hopefully that takes hold. Well, I've had to describe libertarianism many times on many different conversations. And one way that I like to describe it is libertarians are very far left on social freedoms. I don't care who you sleep with or what you want to smoke or anything like that. I 
don't care whatsoever. It's none of my business. So you do you and that's amazing. So I absolutely applaud the left for this. And on the right-hand side, the right is supposed to be very much about economic freedoms, smaller government and less taxes and more pro-business. Absolutely. I fully support. I think that entrepreneurship is definitely the path forwards. So I like to take the best of the left and the best of the right. The problem with both of these political ideologies is they're both growing government. They've both gone off the deep end on certain things. And there's nothing that looks at things with clear vision and understands through a moral compass of what are the difference of right and wrong is. I want all the social freedoms in the world and I want all the economic freedoms in the world. I want it all, you know, and I don't think that we should settle for any of it. Now, you had said vote with your wallet, but what you've actually done in your life and I've done in my life and I encourage a lot of other people is the Milton Freeman vote with your feet. If you don't like the situation, peacefully remove yourself. And that's what this program is about. This whole program, my podcast, my work, my blog, the newsletter, everything like that is about freedom. And it is about finding freedom in wherever you're going to be able to find it, in all aspects of your life. In 23 years of traveling the world and visiting over 100 countries, being an expat and the offshore markets is absolutely hands down the best solution I have ever found. Protesting, that ain't going to do shit. Advocacy for different things and writing your congressman, that's not going to work. None of that is going to work. You need to get yourselves out of this abusive relationship you have with your government. Go somewhere else that you can be peaceful and live your life. And like you had said, try to inspire others. You don't need to force. It doesn't need to be done via violence. It doesn't have to be divisiveness and name calling and anything like this. Try to help and try to inspire. I think that absolutely this is the best way to do it because I've said it a thousand times on this program, but it's worth repeating one more time as far as Anyone, Johnny, anyone can convince me in the world, we have one life to live, one, and that's it. So you might as well make the most out of it. Do what you're going to do. As long as you're not violating other people's freedoms, then go out there, enjoy yourself, find freedom wherever you can. I don't think it's going to be in Canada. I don't think it's going to be in the US. I don't think it's going to be in the UK. It's going to be down here in Latin America or maybe other little enclaves. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that people have got to be willing to move and yeah, I mean, that ultimately it's like when I talk about kind of voting with your wallet, that's kind of, I guess, more on that micro level. You know, you're making individual things where maybe it's supporting one store over another store or one business over another business. Whereas when we're talking about leaving your country, you're talking about taking all of your economic value and you're basically saying, I'm going to take my economic value and I'm, I'm going to take it away from this region, which is choosing to, to exploit me. And I think that everyone should have a tipping point there. I think it's healthy. I think it's respecting yourself to have a point at which you say, I'm not going to take anymore. And I mean, there's, there's places that, that are worse in the UK, but personally for me, that point was when I felt like I'd been under house arrest for the best part of a year of my life. And like you said, you've only got one life. That's one year. Maybe if I'm lucky, if I'm lucky and, and kind of the age that people die continues to increase, maybe at best you might get a hundred years out of this life. Like that's 1% of your life that a government has taken away. And, and I left before it even finished, right? You've given 1% of your life and what have you got for it? As far as I'm concerned, like life is for living and bad things happen in life and good things happen in life. And you should be able to experience all of those things. And I feel like there is a certain point where you have to say, look, I'm not going to take any more of this. And you have to sh shop around, you know, in the same way as if you were buying products or you're going to a business, if that business is treating you badly. If you're at a restaurant that's treating you badly, eventually you've got to say, look, I'm going to stop going to this restaurant. Now, I understand that that's hard for a lot of people because you might have families and you, you have you have connections or you might have a business or something, and it can be very hard to actually move away. But I think that quite often people don't recognize just how strong the upsides are. And they maybe think, oh, well, you know, I can get a bit of a tax saving, but, but it's not just a tax saving. You know, it's not just, okay, well, I might be able to save 10% on my taxes by moving to this territory. It's also the vibrancy of life that you have in these places. It's also just how far your money is going to go. You know, maybe you want to go somewhere that's got more appropriate weather or whatever it is. I mean, for me, that that's a big part of it as well. I was never made for for the climate of Northern <laughs> Europe. Whereas here, you know, I, I love living in, in a tropical climate. You know, it's great. That means a lot to me. It's like, how much would you pay just for that? How much would you pay in your home country if someone said you can pay this much money and you can completely change the climate? Most people will pay a lot of money. But you're actually, in many cases, you're going to save money by moving abroad. You're actually going to, you're going to save money on taxes. You're going to save money in many ways. Now, 
obviously there's costs to that. There's costs in terms of you might have to learn a new language. You might have to uh, enroll your kids in a private school or something. You might have to get private healthcare. Ultimately, when I've added up these costs, I mean, obviously I've done mainly for Mexico, but Mexico isn't even necessarily the best option. Obviously there's different places that might be better for different people and different circumstances. But when I run the numbers, I very quickly, I can, I can abandon the napkin very quickly from doing the numbers because it's so in favor of leaving the advantages just outweigh the disadvantages so much. I think it's, yeah, I think like you said, it's worth everyone kind of considering it. And ultimately, this is also the way that we we get the world to change on a macro level, right? You can change your life on an individual level by moving somewhere. But also, if we all adopt this mindset, governments will be treated just like the local restaurant, just like a corporation. They will have to fight for your tax dollars. And we're seeing now that governments are trying to bring in, you know, these CBDCs, they're trying to close international borders, they're trying to close off the options for people to leave. And this is what happens in kind of late stages of regimes, right? We've seen this happen in places like Soviet Russia, where you couldn't leave. If you could leave, everyone would have just been gone on day one. They had to try and keep people there. They had to try and keep kind of leeching off the people. And okay, I'm not saying we're at that stage yet, but we're already starting to see these kind of murmurs and this appetite amongst Western governments of, we're going to make it difficult for you to leave. Maybe we're going to freeze your bank accounts if you try and leave, or you can only take so much with you. Once people bank accounts get converted into central bank digital currencies, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do at that point. So I think that that now is a really good time to actually start thinking about that and to say before they've got the control mechanisms in order, we still have this opportunity to move about. Now, I'm pretty bearish on the CBDC, CBDC thing. Like I actually think that ultimately it will fail, but th- there might be 10, 20, 30 years where they are using this as a real kind of financial bludgeoning tool for people. So now is a good time to start thinking about those things, I think, and to, to actually get more freedom for yourself and also to try and help change the world on a macro level and force these governments to actually recognize that you have to treat people well. You know, they're not going to get away with it forever. They can't just continue to exploit people with no boundaries to that. Absolutely. Because the writing is on the wall. Like, there's no question about it. I mean, the doors are closing. They're coming down hard on people. You can see it. We're seeing like shadow banning bank accounts where you can't move the money. Everything is for your protection, of course. But, you know, making international transfers is 10 times more difficult. You have to explain everything. Then they say it'll be fine. And then a week later, it's still not sent. And then the money gets frozen for months on end. I've seen this. I have seen it with clients of mine over and over and over again. CBDC is coming. I mean, it is being tested and piloted in countries around the world right now. This is money that will expire, money that you will be penalized if you spend it on things that are going to increase the carbon, your carbon credit. If you speak out against opposition or different ideologies or different viewpoints, they're going to be able to turn your money off. This is a dystopian future. But right now, it is possible to make a change in your life to protect yourself. But it needs to be done right now. Like, I really don't know what some people are waiting for. I don't know what has to happen in the world for them to realize, oh my God, these guys aren't messing around. They're coming for you. Like, they are legit coming for you. You better do something to protect yourself and you better do it now. Like, this kind of falls back into our conversation about personal responsibility. I mean... You can't count on anyone else to do it. We have programs like this. We're we're giving you all the tools. We're here to support you. We're here to help you. The help is out there. The information's out there. But people got to make the choice and they got to make a change. We have seen a ton of movement in the Bitcoin markets recently and the influx of new wallet addresses and people coming into the space is insane. However, there are some serious privacy and security issues by using traditional exchanges and methods of Bitcoin. That's why I want to recommend every one of my subscribers to check out myprivatebitcoin.com. It is a detailed course on everything related to privacy and Bitcoin. This is for experienced people to the crypto space all the way to people new to Bitcoin. Go to myprivatebitcoin.com. And for expat money listeners, you will receive 25% off the program. Go to myprivatebitcoin.com to learn more. I couldn't agree more. I think that, like you said, right now, people have the opportunity to make a change and you can see the direction that things are going. And I do somewhat feel that if you don't make a decision or or start moving in that direction, then you'll be kind of trapped because ultimately that's the only way. I mean, don't want to kind of zoom out too much necessarily, but you look at the the picture with, with 
sovereign debt and things like that. It's a really, really nasty picture. And the only way that they're going to eventually inflate their way out of this problem, and they're going to try and stop you from getting your money out of dollars and euros and pounds and all the rest of it, because they need people to kind of stay in those things. They need people to inflate away their savings, to inflate away their value. And there's ways right now to try and get yourself out of that situation. I think that people should think quite seriously about it. If anything, over the, you know, what we've seen in the past kind of three years, really, since since COVID in 2020, I think that you've had a rare opportunity for governments to kind of show the hand or to, to, to kind of show the the more ugly underbelly of their, their true nature. You know, we've seen the way that they will lie relentlessly. We'll see the way that they will do these things for their own ends. And I think that at some point people have to think, am I going to trust these governments into my own demise, basically? Like at what point are you going to say, I've seen enough and I know now that the government is not my friend and does not have my best interests at heart. Now, for me, I was probably late to this part. You know, I mean, 2021, that's still late. But I guess, you know, I needed a few years of, you know, looking into these things and understanding libertarianism and understanding the nature of governments to kind of get to that point. But eventually I did get to that point. And now I have no faith in really anything that the government does. I mean, I, I'm questioning everything. And 2020 was a big catalyst for me to just say, okay, everything's on the table now. Like I, I just don't trust anything that the government's doing. And eventually I think you have to take these things into, into your own hands and that's what sovereignty is. But it's not just about kind of putting your tinfoil hat on and thinking, okay, well, what's the government going to do next? It's not just about that. I think it's also about, like you said, it's the personal responsibility that comes with that. That actually can be a very meaningful process to go through when you take your life into your own hands and you say, you know, I'm not just going to sit in the country I was born being exploited and complaining about it and occasionally take but no, I'm going to take my money out of that currency. I'm going to put my money into something else. I'm going to put it into hard money. I'm going to move country and find somewhere that's right for me. I'm going to take my kids out of out of public school and put them in private school, or I'm going to homeschool my kids and I'm going to grow my own food rather than going and, and buying GMO foods from the store, whatever it is. There's so many ways you can take sovereignty in your own life. So it's, it's not just about, I'm afraid of the government and therefore I'm going to do this in opposition. It's actually about saying, well, I want to find meaning in my life and self-sovereignty and finding kind of personal meaning, they are kind of intrinsically linked in my view. And once you start on that path, you'll actually find that it bleeds out into other areas of your life as well. So it's not just a reactionary process. It's actually something that I think can really, uh, yeah, give, give you meaning and kind of raise your consciousness in a way. Well, I also think it's very interesting. Some of the first words that you said when you came on the program was you actually found a lot of these morals and, and libertarian and values from Bitcoin. I always kind of assumed that the majority of the people were already had these ideas in place and then were looking for a mechanism to combat fiat money and, and central banks. And that was Bitcoin. So that's why it was created. And people went from libertarian values into Bitcoin. But that's amazing to hear from you that you actually found Bitcoin first. And on the back end of it, you found this entire philosophy and really how to find freedom in your own life. So it's another exciting thing about Bitcoin, because I've always said one of the greatest things about Bitcoin is bringing conversations of money back to the dinner table. People are actually talking about these ideas and all this ideology that goes with it. It was a very taboo subject, the, the, the subject of money for a generation. And, and look what kind of a mess we're in. $32 trillion in national debt and things like this, money being printed out of thin air. No one wants to talk about money, but it's pretty darn important. Like it's it's really important. And now that someone like you, and, and I, I also assume, you know, thousands or millions of other people have found these types of values because they got interested in blockchain and crypto and Bitcoin and everything like this. Yeah, I think a lot of people have, people have come to it from both ways. I actually did a Twitter poll about exactly this question because I was wondering, you know, am, am I a rare case of someone who was, you know, basically like a leftist found Bitcoin and then that sent me down the libertarian rabbit hole. Like, am I a rare case about that? And so I put this poll basically saying, you know, what did you find first? Was it libertarianism, then Bitcoin? Or was it Bitcoin, then libertarianism? And it was completely 50-50. I got a lot of responses to that. I got like thousands of responses and it was like absolutely bang down the middle, basically. So yeah, I think that that happens more often than you might think that people kind of come to Bitcoin because, you know, for me personally, you know, I came to Bitcoin, I've been interested in, I don't want to necessarily put myself under criminal proceedings, but I was interested in things like psychedelics. And, you know, obviously to acquire things like psychedelics, you need to use a tool that, that gives you privacy, right? 
And that was initially kind of my way. It was nothing to do with hard money. It was nothing to do with being anti-government or anything. It was just, I need money that's going to allow me to buy things without essentially kind of having to, to go through bank, the banking system. So it was purely a privacy tool for me initially. And then once I kind of started learning a bit more of it, I was like, oh, okay, like this thing's going up in value. I didn't think that this was a that, that was the tool for this. I I knew that, you know, it, it did go up here and there, but I, that wasn't the reason that I kind of got into it. I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll do this more as an, an investment now rather than just something, you know, a privacy tool. And then once that kind of cog started to turn, I was like, okay, well, why does this thing have, have value? Why is it going up in value? Now I need to understand the actual nature of this thing. I need to understand the monetary properties of it. And then I started learning about Austrian economics and then you start learning about libertarianism. And then you, you end up at the place which I did, which was all of these problems in the world that I thought were caused by kind of greedy capitalists or greedy corporations or whatever it was. I was like, well, no, it's actually not. It's actually the people who were leeching the value from the money. It's actually the fact that the money doesn't hold its value. That is the biggest part of the problem is that the money can't hold its value. People aren't able to save and they're forced to put their money into essentially kind of risky investments or the banks are able to just kind of inflate the currency supply and they're guaranteed bailouts by the government because there's no limit to the amount you can print. And once I started learning about these things, I thought, okay, this thing that I acquired initially, that has taken on a completely new form for me now. Like, And I, and I recognized that it was changing my entire kind of political philosophy. So yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, I think that I wish that more people kind of understood money. You know, I think that a lot of the things that, that people who are on the left actually want they don't recognize that hard money actually is going to solve a lot of those problems. So I think there is a kind of a communication to happen there. But ultimately, I think the best teacher is economic rationality. I think when people realize that their money is losing value by you know 10% a year or whatever it is, it's probably higher than that now. We are kind of heading towards genuine hyperinflation. And I think that when people start to see that that's the way that things are going, they will rationally say, okay, well, I need to take my money out of this. Economic reality is a really harsh teacher, but I think it is kind of the best teacher. You know, you can sit down with someone all day and say, hey, you know, the banks are doing this and that, and you should put your money in Bitcoin, like, you know, as a protest or as a privacy tool or whatever it is. But when you start saying to someone, look, you're losing this much money per year, you're, the value of your money is going down. And if you put your money into something like this, you're able to maintain the value and you're going to have as much next year, or you're going to have more purchasing power next year. You know, like realistically, the prices of goods and services, they should always be going down. And if they're not going down, it's because there's an intervention basically at a governmental level or, or some kind of level. And someone is screwing with your money. Someone is affecting the money that you have in your pocket and they're stealing from you. Essentially, that's why your money's worth less. It's never the way it should go. If, you, if you've got truly hard money, everything should always come down in price. And I think that when you start teaching people about that and you say, look, you've got a tool that's available to you right now. You don't need to do anything else. Like you don't need to ask permission from anyone you can get hold of this right now. I think that people will eventually they'll they'll change their behavior. You know, even if you're the most ardent anti-Bitcoin person and you know you really believe in the government solving everything or whatever, eventually that person will cave when you say, look, are you going to become poorer from this ideology? Are you going to sit around and become poorer every day because you won't part yourself with this ideology, which ultimately is stealing from you just like it's stealing from everyone else. And everyone, I think, ultimately will become unified with economic rationality. You know, I think that that's really the communication language that we generally operate by. So, you know, I'm, I'm very bullish, obviously, like everyone's kind of financial decisions are up, up to them and stuff. But I do think that personally, part of what I do is I teach people about this. I teach people about hard money and, and what it means. And for me, Bitcoin is the hardest money out there. And yeah, I, I hope that that will be a tool to really change things because going back to what we were saying before about governments and the nature of leaving countries, et cetera, if you can take your money with you, if you can you can fly across a border and your money is redeemable anywhere in the world because everyone recognizes it has value and nobody can stop you transacting in it, that is going to absolutely supercharge this kind of sovereign individual thesis. I assume you've, you've read the book, Mikhail, have you? Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Great book. Like highly recommended to all the listeners if they haven't read it already. But yeah, you know, this is the tool which is going to supercharge that process, which is actually going to make governments compete for you as a citizen. It's going to actually make them stop exploiting you and start trying to attract you. So yeah, I think it has so many purposes. Again, it's on the individual level and it's on the macro level. So anything that kind of like hits both those boxes for me is a genuine revolution that's going to take place. Well, I really want to commend you because it's one of the things that I really like about your story is that you came from an ideology which in a lot of regards, 
doesn't make sense. There's just so many things that don't make sense. And instead of like doubling down and, and just going, I know it doesn't make sense, but I'm doing it anyways. You really looked at yourself and what was going on and you did the research and you went down the rabbit hole and you came to real life solutions. And, you know, your story makes me very positive, you know, makes me feel very positive. And I think that you came to libertarianism and these types of values through Bitcoin. But what we're also seeing right now is people are coming to libertarian values from health. They looked at these vaccine mandates and they went, that's not right. This is fundamentally wrong. Well, if that's wrong, well, what else is wrong? And they started doing the research. People who were looking at the lockdowns, people who were furloughed from their jobs, people who maybe didn't have a lot of inkling or, or give any of these types of things a real thought now suddenly do. And it's kind of like all roads lead back to Rome. Well, all roads lead back to proper ethics and morals and values. And I don't know any other system in the world or any other philosophy or ideology that does a good job or as good of a job as libertarian values. I'm not talking about a political ideology. I'm not talking about a party. I'm talking about the North Star. And so I really commend you, Johnny, I do, for introspection and 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 looking at yourself with truth and your life and coming to these understanding about the world. Yeah, well, thanks, Mikhail. You know, I, I do appreciate that. And I think that it's happening. I guess I have always tried to kind of question what I do. And my approach has always just been, well, if you learn something which contradicts some previous belief that you had, you should follow that. You know, you should always try to align yourself with truth in whatever that is. And I think you shouldn't be afraid to kind of like change your mind about something. And if something changes a previously held belief, but ultimately you think that that is a greater truth, then you should orientate yourself towards that. And I do think that this, again, like coming back down to, to like individual like meaning and stuff that you have in your personal life, I've always found that if you align yourself with truth, you will kind of find your path much more organically than if you kind of reject it. And I think that a lot of leftist belief, it kind of rejects a lot of realities, which I think just doesn't bring people the kind of fulfillment that they're, that they're hoping to get from it. But I don't know if you thought about this as well, Mikel, like just the idea of aligning yourself with truth. It just seems to kind of bring around the right outcomes personally. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I follow a, a gentleman named Richard Mayberry very closely. He's probably 80 years old right now. I've been subscribed to his paid newsletter for years and years and years. And the way he describes this is as natural law. And he says that natural law is scientific. And if you don't believe it's scientific, go out there and try to break natural law as many times as you can in a day and then see what happens. This is your hypothesis. It's see what happens. So go out there and rape and murder and steal and lie and cheat. And at the end of the day, look back and see, is my life better off or is it worse off? I can guarantee you it will be worse off. So therefore, it is scientific. Now, if you live your life in honesty and in truth and values and morals, which is really what we've been talking about today, and then you look back at the end of the day and see, is your life better or is it worse? I'm going to argue that it's probably going to be better. And then I would challenge you to go out there and live it. I know that once I started taking full, complete responsibility for my life, everything became much better. My relationships became better. I became a better husband, a better father, a better son, a better business owner. My wealth game went up. My mental health went up. Everything. Once I took personal responsibility for myself in every aspect, once I started living with this North Star and everything that I do, not making an exception here and there. I would say I've been a libertarian since I was 12 years old. But did I always live like that? Did I always, was I always so particular about things? No, I mean, I made a thousand and one mistakes in my life, but the closer I've tried to get to this truth, the better my life has gotten. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think that there's a lot of emphasis as well, because, you know, we do have a kind of epidemic of kind of mental health crisis and stuff like that. And I do think of that realistically exists. But the problem is, I think that often the solutions that are presented are not actually going to change anything. I think that really, I agree with you that one of the key solutions to that is aligning people's thoughts with their actions. And a lot of people, they're living their actions out of alignment with their thoughts and with their beliefs. And that causes a kind of conflict within the, the human spirit, which I think ultimately can be resolved by 
creating more of that unification. And, you know, I know that some people will say, oh, well, you know, what about someone who's who's kind of really poor and, you know, maybe, you know, they've got problems with earning money and they're, they're unable to get a job, or whatever. Even that, accepting the truth of that and saying, what is the logical next step that I can take? You know, you, you can start this from anywhere. You accept the situation that you're in, you accept the circumstances around you, and then you say, okay, what's the next thing I can fix? What's the next step I can take? Maybe my partner's just left me. Maybe they've just taken my children away. Maybe I've just lost my job, whatever it is. Okay, well, write down, you know, your goals for what the next step is in your life to get you one step closer to kind of, you know, becoming more of a whole person and take that step. There's always like something you can be doing. And I think this is where the Jordan Petersons of the world have actually kind of done a good service. I know that recently he's kind of gone off on one and I wouldn't necessarily sing his praises anymore. However, like certainly he came around at a good time. And I think that his message is a good one. It's, it's just like, it doesn't, doesn't matter where you are in life, just accept the truth of it and try to do things that are going to get you to where you want to be, but that are fundamentally in alignment with your moral code, right? Try to just, just try to like be a good person. And you can point to so many examples, you know, of like famous people or whatever it is, you know, whether it's politicians or celebrities or whatever. And you might think, oh, well, they've got loads of money. They must have great lives, but they're miserable. You know, like so many of these people, not only are they miserable in terms of maybe they're depressed and or whatever it is, but they're also kind of morally flawed. The number of these billionaires and millionaires and stuff that were all on Epstein's island doing, you know, sick things. It's like, there's, again, there's a, there's a moral, I think it corrupts the soul. Like it corrupts the soul when you're doing things. Like you said, coming back to natural law, these people are trying to break natural law. They're stealing from people. You know, they're going, they're doing things which are ultimately against natural, like the morals of natural law. And it leads to kind of crisis in your life. It leads to at least leads to bad outcomes, I think. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Natural law is a thing and you can't cheat it. You know, you can try to cheat it, but ultimately it will, it will come back and bite you in the ass, I think. Well, I am very much a fan of building up wealth. I am very well to do myself. And as I mentioned before, I think that entrepreneurship is the path forwards to solving a lot of the problems in the world. I think that the problem with a lot of Hollywood stars and politicians and some of these super famous people that we see is that straight off the bat, it's from a corrupt system. So of course, they're out of alignment with natural law. And that's why Epstein Island, that's why these types of things existed because of blackmail, because all of these people are sick. They're sociopaths. They're fucking disgusting human beings. And so they got ahead, but not because they were providing real value in the world. They were doing dodgy stuff to get there. So I just never wanted to come across like, oh, well, it's the, the millionaires and the billionaires that are doing these types of things and they're out of alignment with natural law. Truly, if you're an entrepreneur, what you're doing is you're solving problems. But a lot of these celebrities, that's not what they're doing. I mean, there's some unbelievably dodgy stuff that once you start digging into it, which I think is probably outside of the scope of today's conversation, but possibly in another one, it, it's pretty terrible. I think that to circle back to our original point, morals and ethics, I think that if you are in alignment with that, if you understand the difference between right and wrong, not just understand, but actually do your actions, follow up with those types of things. I can't see anything but the quality of your life, your happiness, your mental health, your family, your community, your neighbors, everything going up. I think that it will always, you have a better shot at that than anything else. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I think that this should really be the focus as well. You know, if your life is not as you would like it to be, rather than the prevailing kind of emphasis is just, oh, well, you know, complain that someone else should be giving you more, complain that, you know, your life isn't as good as, you know, some celebrity or some billionaire who is corrupted themselves, as we just said. So like, rather than looking to that and saying, oh, you know, I'm not where they want to be, we need more more equity, just just to, to try to say to someone like, well, what is it you can do to improve your life, you know, what is it you can do on a, on a small level? I had a conversation on my podcast with a woman called Sarah Plumley, and she's, uh, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's, she talks a lot about kind of homeschooling and things like this, but she's very kind of involved in like, you know, teaching morality to people, you know, teaching them about how to become a better person. And, you know, she said like, no one is like a better person than the local cricket coach, right? You know, the, the local guy who's retired and he's not getting any money is teaching, you know, the local kids who might be complete no-hoper kids. And he's out there, you know, every Sunday and he's teaching them cricket or whatever. Like these, these are the people who you should actually like aspire to be. It's nothing to do with money or fame. You should just be saying, what's the moral character that I want? And if you actually aspire towards that, then I think that 
in most cases, the money thing will sort itself out. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean you're going to be a millionaire, but you'll have enough money to make yourself optimally happy if you follow along with, you know, just being a moral person. Like I think you'll find that those things kind of click into place, but thinking about how much I need to have this much money and that's going to make me happy. It's the wrong way of thinking about it. The money will come as a side product of just becoming a better person, becoming a moral person, and you'll have enough to make you optimally happy. That For some people that might be $50,000. For some people that might be $500,000, but I think you'll find the the right amount of money that actually makes you optimally happy, not by following the money first, but by following being a moral person, taking responsibility, you know, becoming more self-sovereign, you know, doing what's right for the people around you, et cetera. Well, it's very interesting. And and I'm going to say something and please don't be offended, but it is very clear that you came to libertarianism from the left because a lot of that still has a lot of left type of flavor to it. See, I would push back and I would say that what it is all about, who we should be looking up to is those that are providing value and money will always be paid to those who provide the most amount of value. And I get paid a lot of money for my services first and foremost, because I'm really good at my job and almost no one else does it or knows how to do what I do. I mean, I'm one of a couple of people in the world who truly know and understand these things at a very high level. And with such, I get to charge huge fees for that. Now, I'm not saying that the cricket teacher, he's volunteering his time. That's a bad thing. That's amazing. But I wouldn't necessarily put it in a hero type of relationship where we should look at things that because he's not getting paid, then that's a good virtue. I think that people should absolutely be paid for their time and their energy and their effort if they're providing value to the marketplace. And value is completely subjective. He's probably doing it because he really enjoys doing it. And that's amazing for him. But I don't think that there needs to be any of this looking up to people because people will always act in their own best interests. And I think that the world would be a much better place if we would just admit this, that we should do things that are in our best interest. As long as, to circle back, it follows, do not encroach on other people or their property and do all that you say you were going to do. Don't lie, steal, cheat. Other than that, you should absolutely do what's going to make you happy. Yeah, I do agree with that. And I do think that there's absolutely nothing wrong. You know, I have no issues with people making large amounts of money whatsoever. My only point is just that I don't think that that necessarily is going to bring you, it's going to bring you happiness. As I said, you know, like these, with these celebrities and politicians, et cetera, they've got huge amounts of money, but I don't think that those people to me don't seem happy. Yeah, but those people have a huge amount of money because they got it in unethical ways politicians steal and lie for a living. That corrupts your soul. And I think that if you do things like that day in, day out, it is who you are. I mean, that's your actions. That's who you become. Now, of course, they're unhappy and they're miserable, not because they have a lot of money. It has nothing to do with the money. It's how they got there. That's the disgusting part. Totally agree. Yeah. It's, it, it's all to do with, with how that's made. Yeah. I completely agree with that. But my point going back to, you know, the cricket person, yeah, it might be an individual level. I'm not necessarily saying they're providing huge value to the community. What I'm saying is that everyone has the opportunity, even that individual has the opportunity to go and do something which is going to like elevate their own spirit, right? That's a, a moral action of their own. And it's not necessarily that I'm saying, oh, well, that's, hugely helpful and we should kind of like worship this person. It's more of an individual action, if anything. You can do things on an, on an individual level that doesn't take money. It doesn't cost you money, but it can bring around good outcomes in your life. And I think doing sometimes, you know, doing actions like that, it's just going to elevate your, your own spirit. So yeah, I don't think there's a conflict there at all. Like I do totally respect that people who make even lots of money, if it's done in an honest way, like in many cases, that's actually uh, one of the most valuable metrics we have for how much value you're providing. I don't think it's the only metric though. Like I do think that there are people who are able to, to add value, you know, going back to this example, someone who is kind of helping the local kids who don't actually have any money of their own. You know, they have no money of their own. They, they have no ability to, to spend, but they've got someone who is a, you know, maybe they're, they're acting as a male figure in their life. Maybe they're providing them some kind of moral guidance. I think that that offers a lot of value. Now that's a non-monetary value. Someone else, they might have the absolute best 
whatever it is. Maybe they're a car mechanic and they're the best car mechanic in town and they're awesome and everyone loves them and they do do a great job and they're always on time and they might make more money than all the other mechanics around. Their value is actually seeing financial rewards. So I think that there's a place for both. I don't think they're necessarily in contradiction. Sometimes this, you know, the sweet spot is that you manage to marry both together, right? Where you actually providing a great service, you're providing value to people's lives and you're making money from it. But I do think that there is also value that can be had on an individual level by providing value locally to people that might not necessarily have a monetary reward, but it might have a reward for your your spirit and your kind of, yeah, your your own kind of meaning in your life. Yes. And I absolutely agree with you that spirit, as you put it, is very valuable. And what it does for you and your community and your friends and your family and, and your mental health on all of these types of things is not recognized enough in the world, but is hugely important. And as we understand more and more and more, we are more than just the physical body. There is a lot more going on here that is just not understood by everyone. And I think that at some point, there will be a greater understanding of connections between human beings. So I don't discount any of that. And I I do do a lot of nonprofit work and a lot of ways that I'm able to give back. And I love the work and I enjoy it. I do it to help other people, but I do it because also because it feels good. And yeah, and I don't think I should be ashamed that I do it because it feels good because I I feel like a good person when I help someone out, when I make someone smile. I don't want to ever be this virtue signaling person where I'm like, oh, I'm only doing it for them. I don't get anything out of that. And if I took anything from this, now I'm a bad person because I think that that is complete hogwash. I absolutely get something out of the relationship. I get to make someone else smile. I make their day. I make a, a meaningful change in someone's life and I'm like, that's so rad. Like, I go to bed happy because of those types of things. Does that discount me giving back? Does that, you know, does that make me a bad person? Does that take away from the help that I've given? I would argue, no, not at all. I think that there should be some type of an exchange. And the more that we have an exchange in everything that we do and recognize that exchange, then the better off we'll all be. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like you could consider that to be some kind of spiritual currency of its own, right? You know, I mean, if you if you go out and maybe maybe in one case you're going out and you're receiving like financial compensation for something you're doing, in another sense, you might be going out and receiving some kind of spiritual compensation. You know, you do something purely out of, well, this is gonna, you know, I feel good doing it. And you go out and you do a good good thing in the world. So yeah, I, I totally agree that it can it can go both ways and both things could be considered a currency of their own in a way. Very interesting conversation. Johnny, I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? Yeah, well, thank you so much again for bringing me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here. I know you've had some like really big guests in the past, so you know I feel humbled to be counted amongst them. If people want to want to find me, they can find me on Twitter. At, that's Johnny Hoddle is my, is my handle. So J-O-N-N-Y H-O-D-L. So you can search me there. The podcast is called The Staying Free Podcast. You can find it on all the platforms, you know, Spotify, Apple. It's on YouTube, which does unfortunately get some censorship over there, just the nature of some of the conversations we have. So I wouldn't recommend following it there. But if you just want to subscribe over there to get notifications or whatever, when the episodes drop, you can find it on YouTube as well. The link for that is stayingfreepod.com. So stayingfreepod.com. We've got a Telegram group as well, which is stayingfreepod. So T, I think it's t.me slash stayingfreepod is for that. Stayingfreepod or stayingfreepodcast. Search that in all the usual places and you'll, you'll find the podcast as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Super exciting news. We just released our first in a series of expat guidebooks. These are in-depth country guides on how to move to another country. And the first one released is Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico. It took us over two years to compile all the research and write this book on Mexico. And coming in at 475 pages, you can really see how much work has gone into this. It's a complete guide on everything you need to know if you want to move to Mexico including where to live, immigration, taxes, lifestyle, buying property, how to get a driver's license, and a million other things you would never think you need the answers to. You can find the book directly on Amazon by searching for Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico or go to expatguidebooks.com, which will take you to our online shop where you will find the book. Go to expatguidebooks.com. That's expatguidebooks.com. 
This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.